Hey, we are going through 2 Samuel this summer and into September, and I encourage you to turn in your Bibles with me this morning to 2 Samuel chapter 15. 2 Samuel chapter 15. We have noted as we've gone through the book that in chapters 1 through 9, we have a record of David depending on the Lord walking in a way where before he takes a step forward, he seeks the Lord's guidance in his life and demonstrates that in prayer. But in chapters 10 through 12, David begins a downward spiral. He falls into gross sin. And then in chapter 13, we saw that he actually imprinted the lives of his sons just as David saw a woman, wanted her, and took her. His son Amnon saw a woman and wanted her and took her, his half-sister. Just as David committed murder, killing Bathsheba's husband Uriah the Hittite in order to somehow make everything right, Absalom, David's son, committed murder trying to make everything right, and killed his half-brother, Amnon. As we came to chapter 14, we saw a chapter of ungrace. David is not reaching out, demonstrating love and forgiveness with his son. He just left him sit out there. And we noted that in the presence of ungrace, bitterness and resentment soon follow. Which brings us to the section that we are in now in chapters 15 through 20. A section all about rebellion. We see rebellion. Last week in chapter 15 verses 1 through 12, we saw Absalom, David's son, actually declaring himself to be king. Even though the Lord established his father, David, as king. And we, we stated that when a person does not wait on the Lord, but, in, but instead just grabs for what they want, it ultimately is not just rebellion against those around them, but rebellion against God. And what we're going to see today in this section, this long section that we look at, is that when a person rebels. It doesn't affect just them, but it affects those around them. And sometimes a person sometimes a person can be walking in total obedience to the Lord, very much concerned about daily obedience and depending on him and they're seeking him with all their life but their lives are turned upside down because of the actions of someone else and in the section that we are in today our author of the book of second samuel is not so concerned about the rebeller as he is in showing us how david responds in the storm. How David responds when it appears that his life is spinning out of control. Now, we are going to read 
the entire section together this morning, it's important that we hear the Word of God. If nothing else happens, and it's long, so I will read it aloud. You can follow along in your copy of the Scripture. We will read from chapter 15, verse 13, down through chapter 16, verse 14. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. Then a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, for otherwise none of us will escape Absalom. Go in haste, or he will overtake us quickly and bring down calamity on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. Then the king's servant said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king chooses. So the king went out and all his household with him. But the king left ten concubines to keep the house. The king went out and all the people with him, and they stopped at the last house. Now all his servants passed on before him. All the Cherethites, all the Pelethites, and the Gittites, 600 men who had come with him from Gath, passed on before the king. Then the king said to Ittai the Gittite, Why will you also go with us? Return and remain with the king, for you're a foreigner and also an exile. Return to your own place. You came only yesterday. And shall I today make you wander with us while I go where I will? Return, take back your brothers, mercy and truth be with you. But Ittai answered the king and said, As the Lord lives, and as my lord the king lives, surely where my wherever my lord the king may be, wherever whatever for death or for life, there also your servant will be. Therefore David said to Ittai, Go and pass over. So Ittai the Gittite passed over with all his men, with all the little ones who were with him, while all the country was weeping with a loud voice. All the people passed over. The king also passed over the brook Kidron, and all the people passed over toward the way of the wilderness. Now behold, Zadok also came, and all the Levites with him, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God, and Abiathar came up until all the people had finished passing from the city. And the king said to Zadok, Return the ark of God to the city. If I find favor in the sight of the Lord, then he will bring me back again and show me both it and his habitation. But if he should say thus, I have no delight in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me as seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, Are you not a seer? Return to the city in peace and your two sons with you, your son Ahimaaz and Jonathan the son of Abiathar. See, I am going to wait at the fords of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. Therefore Zadok and Abiathar returned the ark of God to Jerusalem and remained there. And David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives. And wept as he went, and his head was covered, and he walked barefoot. Then all the people who were with him each covered his head and went up weeping as they went. Now someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, 
I pray, make the counsel of Ahithophel foolishness. It happened as David was coming to the summit where God was worshipped that, behold, Hushai the archite met him with his coat torn and dust on his head. David said to him, if you pass over with me, then you'll be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I have been your father's servant in time past, so I will now be your servant, then you can thwart the counsel of Ahithophel for me. Are not Zadok and Abiathar the priests with you there? So it shall be that wherever you hear from the king's house, you shall report to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. Behold, their two sons are with them there. Ahimaaz, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son. And by them you shall send me everything that you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, came into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. Now, when David had passed a little beyond the summit, behold, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with with a couple of saddled donkeys, and on them were 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 summer fruits, and a jug of wine. The king said to Ziba, Why do you have these? And Ziba said, The donkeys are for the king's household to ride, and the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for whoever is faint in the wilderness to drink. Then the king said, And where's your master's son? And Ziba said to the king, Behold, he's staying in Jerusalem, for he said today, The house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me. So the king said to Ziba, Behold, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. And Ziba said, I prostrate myself. Let me find favor in your sight, O my lord the king. When David came to Bahurim, behold, there came out from there a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shammai, the son of Gera. He came out cursing continually as he came. He threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were at his right hand and at his left. Thus Shammai said when he cursed, Get out! Get out, you man of bloodshed and worthless fellow! The Lord has returned upon you all the bloodshed of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of Absalom. And behold, you are taken in your own evil, for you are a man of bloodshed. Then Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over now and cut off his head. But the king said, What have I to do with you, O sons of Zariah? If he curses, and if the Lord has told him, curse David, then who shall say, why have you done so? Then David said to Abishai and all servants, behold, my son who came out for me seeks my life. How much more now this Benjamite, let him alone, let him curse, for the Lord has told him. Perhaps the Lord will look on my affliction and return good to me instead of cursing this day. So David and his men went on the way. And Shammai went along along on the hillside parallel, parallel with him. And as he went, he cursed and cast stones and threw dust at him. The king and all the people who were with him arrived weary, and he refreshed himself there. Well, we see in this passage the results 
of rebellion. Absalom, David's son, in the absence of grace from his father, becomes bitter and rebels against him. And even though, as we come to this section, David has been walking with the Lord again, depending on him. Another man's rebellion causes turmoil in his life. And as far as David can see, his life is spinning out of control. When I was a kid and you went to a playground at a public school or a park, the equipment that you would find at the playground would be very different from the equipment that you find today. We didn't have any elaborate forts or bridges. We had teeter-totters and merry-go-rounds. Oh, I hated those merry-go-rounds. You know, I was always the naive kid that actually believed the other kids that said, we won't go too fast. And when you want to get off, we will let you off. No, they wouldn't. I would get on that, and I get motion sick really easy. And I would get on that merry-go-round, and they would start it going, and it would go, and it would go, and I would be getting sicker and sicker, yelling for them to stop. And as much as I wanted the spinning to stop, you couldn't make it stop. And they found great joy in seeing me get sick. Well, that's just an account of me when I was a kid. But unfortunately, as we continue to grow out of childhood into adulthood, we still tend to find ourselves in situations where life seems to be spinning out of control and we desperately want it to stop. And as much as we'd like to try, we just can't make everything get fit back the way we want it to. And often it hasn't been a result of something we have done, but the result of someone else who is just grabbing for for what they want instead of waiting on the Lord in their life. Well, that's where David is today in this passage. And from David's life, we want to look and say, how should I respond when I find myself, when my life seems to be spinning out of control and there's nothing apparent to me that helps me see how I can make it stop? In the first section from chapter 15, verse 13, down through verse 23, we simply want to see that oftentimes we can find ourselves in this situation because of the actions of someone else. Those who refuse to wait on God and just grab for what they want cause life to appear out of control for those who are around them. One of the lessons that I continued as my sons were growing up in our home that I tried to continue to instill in them is that 
your actions affect more people than just you. And here, David's son, Absalom, his actions are going to affect hundreds of people. And because he's just going to grab for what he wants, he puts life into upheaval for so many. You see, Absalom could rationally say, well, uh, I'm going to be king soon anyway. I'm next in line. And it makes sense, and I have the ability to just take the kingdom. Now, why not? But he grabs for what he wants instead of waiting on the Lord. Remember last week we saw in chapter 15, verse 12, the conclusion that Absalom's conspiracy was strong. Now as we come to chapter 15, verse 13, we see a messenger coming to David with this message. The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom, David's son. Remember back to verse 6 we saw last week, it said that Absalom stole away the hearts of the men of Israel. Most likely the men of Israel here are David's vast armies, the fighting men. Their allegiance has gone to Absalom. It doesn't look good for David. In fact, David's initial reaction of verse 14 is, we have got to get out of here. Notice verse 14, he says, let us flee, for otherwise none of us will escape from Absalom. Go in haste, or he will overtake us quickly and bring down calamity on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. He not only will kill us, he's going to wipe out Jerusalem. We have got to go. Now, in the midst of this chaos, in life spinning out of control, we do see some glimpses of a few people that are loyal to David. Notice in verse 15, his servants say, we'll go wherever you want us to go. We'll do whatever you want us to do. Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king chooses. In verse 18, we see that the servants went with him and passed on with him. We see in verse 23 that even the people of the nation are heartbroken over this and in tears. And in verses 19 through 22, we see the account of one man, a guy named Ittai the Gittite, who just joined David's forces the day before. And David says, man, you're you're brand new. You've just joined my security forces yesterday. Why don't you just stay in Jerusalem? The new king will be there. You'll be safe. Just stay in Jerusalem. Why should you go wander with me? And reminiscent of the words of Ruth to her mother-in-law, this new guy says to the king, Surely... Wherever my Lord the King may be, whether for death or for life, there also your servant will be. And we find David fleeing for his life, for the life of his family, his servants. 
with a small band of a, a private security, he goes. And verse 23 says, while all the country was weeping with a loud voice, all the people passed over. The king also passed over the brook of Kidron on their way out of the wilderness. So here we have it. Chaos. Life spinning out of control, seemingly. Several years ago, Pastor Brian on our staff purchased a dry erase board for his office. And he has a little color codes of, and makes all kinds of really neat little lists and things that have to be done soon and things that are really important. And he has a little code. And then Pastor Chris got a dry erase board. And then Pastor Eric joined our staff and he got a dry erase board. And so, man, I better get a dry erase board. I'm kind of behind the times around here. Now, if David had a dry erase board, and he put a line right down the middle, and on the left-hand column said, things that are going bad, and then on the right-hand column put things that are going good, it wouldn't look too good. In that left-hand column, he would write, well, the hearts of the men are with Absalom. The army has followed him. Verse 13 We've got to flee, verse 14, for our lives. That's not so good. We don't know where we're going, verse 20. That's not so good. The whole country is weeping. Long list of things that aren't going well. In the right-hand column, he probably could put down, there are some who are still loyal to me. And that's all that's apparently good. You see, without his actions causing all of this, immediately causing it, he is the victim of the rebellion of someone else. And because someone else, Absalom, is just grabbing for what they want, it puts life in the turmoil for all of these other people. Spinning out of control. Or is it? You see, David, as we continue in this passage, recognizes that his life is not out of control at all. One of the things that we have the benefit of that David doesn't is that we can look from a vantage point above Scripture And see how the story continues to unfold. And Bible teachers throughout the years have noticed a parallel between what happens here in 2 Samuel 15 and 16 and what happens in John 18, the passage that Pastor Brian read a little while ago. It's quite interesting that the path, the physical path that David takes here as as those around him are grieving, feeling like all is lost, everything's out of control, is through the Kidron Valley up to the Mount of Olives. Notice it says in verse 23, the king also passed over the brook of Kidron. And then down in verse 30 it says, 
David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went. Now, if you go to John 18 and see David's descendant, Jesus, on his way to the cross, it tells us in verse 1 of chapter 18 that he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden. And that garden of Gethsemane is just at the base of the Mount of Olives. And so we find Jesus walking the same path that his ancestor had walked David. Notice that just as David's followers were deeply grieved, they're, they're crying, they're mourning. So also, Jesus' disciples are feeling like life is spinning out of control. What's happening here? He is the Messiah, and yet it looks like he's the victim. In fact, Peter takes out a sword and chops off one of the soldier's ears. And what does Jesus say in verse 11 of John 18? Put the sword into the sheath. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? You see, Jesus is saying, while life appears to be spinning out of control, it's absolutely under the Father's control. There's nothing happening here that's apart from the permissive will of the Father. I'm supposed to be on this path. I'm supposed to go to the cross. And just as his descendant experiences in John 18, David is on a path that appears to be out of control, but in reality is completely under the Father's control. We're asking the question, how do I respond when life starts spinning out of control, especially as a result of someone else's actions? How should I respond to that? The same way David does here. And in chapter 15, verse 24, through chapter 16, verse 14, we see that for David, when this is all just unfolding so rapidly, the important thing for him is to make sure that he remains in the will of God. And he does that by just waiting on the Lord and not trying to create control. And we'll we'll see what we mean by that here as these verses unfold. Verses 24 and 25 are very important in this section. David turns around, and who does he see but Zadok the priest with some of the other Levites, and they have brought the Ark of the Covenant out of Jerusalem with them. Now, why would they do that? Remember, for an Israelite, they associated the Ark of the Covenant with God's presence. Back in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, when Israel was going into battle, we need the Ark of the Covenant. If we are going to win, we have to have the Ark of the Covenant with us. Why? Because God will help us if we have the Ark of the Covenant. You see, for some, they almost viewed the Ark of the Covenant as a good luck charm. David doesn't. David is not going to try to take control of this situation. 
He's not going to abuse God. He's not going to use the Ark of the Covenant as working an angle to try to get up on his son Absalom. So what does David do in verse 25? He tells them, take it back. What? We need the Ark of the Covenant. If we have the Ark of the Covenant, Absalom won't be able to do anything to us. If we have the Ark of the Covenant, we're going to come out okay. And David says, take it back. Look at verse 25. The king said to Zadok, return the Ark of God to the city. If I find favor in the sight of the Lord, then he will bring me back again and show me both it and his habitation. But if he should say thus, I have no delight in you, behold, here I am, let him do to me as seems good to him. You see, David is saying this, I'm yielding myself to the will of God. I'm not going to work an angle. I'm not going to try to create control where there is no apparent control. I'm just going to wait on him. Maybe the Lord is in this. Maybe the Lord is removing me from the throne. I am not going to try to take control out of the Lord's hands. I'm just going to wait on him. Now, it's not that David just crawls up in a fetal position underneath the kitchen table here. It's not that David just sits in a chair. He still has a, a, a uh, an action plan. He, he still takes steps here. He, he says, take the ark back. But then as the verses continue, he says to Zadok, Zadok, you could be more valuable to me if you go back with the ark and stay there. You've got two sons. You could report to me what's happening in Jerusalem if you'll just go back. Is David thinking that that will solve his problems? No. The Lord's the one in control. But David still follows steps, a plan. He takes action, but his dependence is on the Lord. Look down at verse 27. The king also said to Zadok the priest, Return to the city in peace and your two sons with you. Now, as David goes on this trek and is is crying and weeping. He's barefoot just as a sign of humbleness before the Father. It tells us that word gets to him that his main counselor, his confidant, Ahithophel, in verse 31, is one of the conspirators with Absalom. What does David do? His first instinct is to pray. Look at verse 31. O oh Lord, I pray, make the counsel of Ahithophel foolishness. But David also exercises some planning here. He comes across Hushai the archite, and he tells Hushai, if you go back, you can actually be part of his leadership team, and you can thwart the counsel of Ahithophel, verse 34. Then you can thwart the counsel of Ahithophel for me. So David is doing this. 
He's expressing dependence on the Lord, even in prayer, but he also has a plan that he's working. We come to chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, and it seems kind of obscure. All of a sudden, this this former a servant of Saul, the king, comes on the scene with some gifts for David. And David said, who are these for? They were for you. And by the way, Mephibosheth, Saul's son, is back in Jerusalem because he thinks this is going to end up with him getting the kingdom back. Probably not true. In fact, we're going to see in chapter 19 that this whole episode is going to come up again. We're going to talk with it there, talk about it there. But what I want us to know is what happens next in chapter 16, verses 5 through 14. As David continues on this track, once again, he has an opportunity to take control or just wait on the Lord. There's this descendant of Saul, this guy named Shammai, and he starts chucking rocks at David. So here they're walking along. Shammai comes along the ridge. He starts throwing rocks at David, and he pronounces a curse on him. David, you are a man of bloodshed. You deserve everything that's happening to you in payment for shedding the blood of Saul's family. Well, that's not true. We knew in the book of 1 Samuel that... David had multiple opportunities to take Saul's life and would not touch the anointed of the Lord. So there's false accusation. Well, David's nephew, Abishai, Joab's brother, says, I want to, why are we letting this dog make all these accusations? Just let me go chop off his head. Well, that would quiet him up, wouldn't it? I'm just going to, let me just go chop off his head. You see, that would be David taking control of the situation. What's David say? No way. He tells Abishai in verse 11, let him alone. Go ahead and let him pronounce a curse against me. Maybe the Lord's in that too. I am not going to try to take control of this situation. I am going to wait on the Lord. One of my favorite books is written by Stephen Ambrose, uh, the account of the Lewis and Clark expedition. The title of the book is Undaunted Courage. It's been out for quite a few years. And I love the book because it traces places where I've lived, and, and Ambrose does a wonderful job of taking excerpts from the journals of Lewis and Clark and others of the campaign and weaves them into the story that he tells. One of the accounts that Ambrose records is that evidently the Corps of Discovery actually saw a squirrel migration. Now, I guarantee you none of us in this room have seen a squirrel migration. If you have ever in your lifetime seen a group of squirrels traveling together in an orderly fashion from point A to point B. Please come up and tell me afterwards. Squirrels don't do that. Have you ever tried or seen a large number of squirrels traveling in a common direction from point A to point B? You can't herd squirrels. I mean, if you tried to get squirrels to all go in one direction... All they would do is just go in about 90 directions. You can't bring order 
out of squirrels. It doesn't work. You can't herd squirrels. And we can't bring order. We can't manufacture order when our lives appear to be spinning out of control. Oh, we can try. And we will be as successful as squirrel herders. David, at this stage in his life, knows that. And instead of trying to take control, grabbing the Ark of the Covenant, almost using it like a good luck charm, well, if I have the Ark of the Covenant, then we'll be successful. Or going and chopping off Shammai's head to quiet him down. No, he doesn't do that. He follows a strategic plan. But ultimately, he's not depending on his strategic plan. He's depending on the Lord. He returned the ark. He said, let Shammai curse. You see, David has learned that in the storm, our response is to wait on the Lord. I shared these two verses last week, but... They are so critical to this discussion. I want to share them again out of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety upon him, because he cares for you. You see, that's our response. When my life, when your life starts to appear like it's spinning out of control, maybe as a result of the rebellion of somebody else, maybe you have a child or an adult child who just says, I am just going to grab for what I want. Or maybe you have a coworker who's just grabbing for what they want, and the problem is that their actions are affecting you. Our response is not to try to take control back. Our response is to wait on the Lord. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Father, I thank you for this passage, a passage that in a way can foreshadow the same journey that Jesus took where his disciples thought life was spinning out of control, but Jesus recognized the hand of the Lord, that he was walking in accord with God's will for him, even though as a result of the actions of others, things didn't look good. Help us, by your Spirit, to respond in dependence on you, resting in you, even in the storm. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.